Welcome back to the Jesus Chronicles. I'm Sandy Laws, and this is lesson number 10. Well, last lesson, we started our journey of watching Jesus's public ministry unfold, step by step. It began with his baptism in the Jordan River. Jesus's baptism revealed that he was fully human, fully God, and aligned with his people. Jesus was ready to share his message and identity with the world. But before he could proclaim to all of humanity that he is the savior of the world, he must first declare it to his chief adversary, who is Satan. In this podcast, we will take a closer look at the temptation story and examine exactly what happened between Jesus and Satan. But first, let's take a closer look at the evil one who is actively working against Jesus. The subject of Satan. Who is Satan? Succinctly put, Satan is the chief of the fallen angels. This implies that Satan rules over a group of angels who somehow fell from God's good graces. The Bible has surprisingly little to say about how evil angels came about or what caused them to fall. There are only two passages in the New Testament that tell us something about these beings. Now, the first reference is from 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 4. God did not spare angels when they sinned, but sent them to hell, putting them in chains of darkness to be held for judgment. The second reference is from Jude 6. The angels who did not keep their positions of authority but abandoned their proper dwelling, these he has kept in darkness, bound with everlasting chains for judgment on the great day. Clearly, these fallen angels were angels who sinned and were thus judged by God. Just when they rebelled against God, well, we just don't know. But we can probably assume it happened sometime between the completion of the creation of the earth, when God declared it to be very good, and the temptation and fall of Adam and Eve in the Garden of Eden. But the text seems to also imply that these evil angels have been cast into hell until judgment. So how exactly are they free to inflict harm on people in the world? Well, we can only surmise that like evil human beings who roam the world unrestrained, these fallen angels have enough freedom to carry out their evil deeds. Satan, or the devil, is the name given in the Bible to the chief of these fallen angels. The name Satan comes from a Hebrew verb, and it means to be or to act as an adversary. Therefore, it is clear that the one who Satan opposes is God, and by extension, his created beings, including us. The most common Greek word for him is diablos. 
other terms used to describe Satan in the text tell us something about his character. The terms for him include tempter, Beelzebul, enemy, evil one, adversary, deceiver, great dragon, father of lies, murderer, and sinner. It is a fact that at all times, Satan is actively opposing the Holy Trinity. And the primary way that he does that is by continually tempting us. Whenever we feel tempted, it is an act of Satan planted in our hearts. Now, Satan has an unknown number of demons who carry out his work. And we should assume that demons, like Satan, use temptation and deception as their means to inflict harm on us. More specifically, Satan and his evil army of demons want to impede our spiritual growth and our relationship with God. The Bible is clear that a very real struggle exists between Jesus and his followers on one side and Satan and his army of evil angels on the other side. As we will see, the temptation of Jesus represented a decisive but preliminary victory over Satan. Evidence of a final victory over Satan is found throughout the New Testament. Specifically in Revelation chapter 20, it says that Satan will be bound for a thousand years and then released for a time before finally being cast into the lake of fire and brimstone forever. Jesus indicates that this will also be the fate of Satan's angels. The Temptation in the Desert Well, now let's turn to our story about the confrontation between Jesus and Satan that took place in the Judean desert. This is a story that must have come from Jesus himself, since no one else was present at that epic confrontation. All three accounts of the story in the Gospels, from Matthew, Mark, and Luke, begin with a reference to the Holy Spirit. They all write that Jesus was led by the Holy Spirit into the desert. This can only mean one thing, that there was a heavenly purpose to the unholy events that were about to take place. I think of it this way. Jesus had just had this really amazing experience at his baptism, where the heavens were open and he heard the voice of his father greet him a son and the beloved. So in part, the temptation to come and how Jesus responded to it further defined what it meant for Jesus to be fully human and fully divine. It wasn't like Jesus didn't have any choice about his mission. In fact, Jesus had several options in front of him. Was Jesus going to abuse his powers to meet his own needs? Or was he going to draw attention to himself by performing spectacular but meaningless miracles? Or was he going to establish his own earthly kingdom? Matthew tells us that in the harsh Judean desert, Jesus looked at each of these options and rejected them. 
because they were each a temptation from the devil. Well, let's go through Matthew's version of the story, beginning with chapter 4, verse 1. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. So Jesus was led into the wilderness by the Holy Spirit, most likely the Judean desert around Jericho. He walked from the beautiful, serene, lush area surrounding the Jordan River Valley to a desolate area devoid of life and water. And I just want you to picture these two extremes. I mean, this should not be lost on us because temptation is often accompanied by a void or a desolate space in our lives. Now, Satan wanted to deflect Jesus from doing the work of God by tempting him into using his powers for selfish gain. Jesus had been called in the service of God, but Satan wanted to seduce him into his service to act on his behalf instead of God's. The devil is consistently opposed to God and Jesus, and indeed to the best interest of God's people. Matthew tells us that Jesus fasted for an extended period of time while in the desert. He doesn't tell us why Jesus fasted, but fasting has always been something done in association with contemplation and prayer. The tempter then arrives on the scene. Satan challenged Jesus to use his powers for his own benefit, which, by the way, was something Jesus never did. The devil began by saying, if you are the son of God. This wasn't a question of doubt because Satan already knew that Jesus was the son of God, but a question of proof. Jesus most certainly could have done a small thing like turn a stone into bread. Later, we see Jesus use his powers to multiply food to feed the multitudes. But those miracles were done for the benefit of others and done according to God's will. Jesus responded to the devil by quoting scripture. It is written it points to the reliability of scripture. He viewed the current problem through the lens of scripture and found a way to rebuff Satan. Jesus quoted Deuteronomy 8, 3. It is written, people do not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Jesus overcame the first temptation by applying a text that is really valid for all of humankind. Scripture is always a reliable source that is available to everyone. The difference really between Jesus and me is that Jesus is always obedient to the word of God, which is something I attempt to do, 
but certainly not with perfection the way that Jesus does. Well, now on to the second temptation. Matthew chapter 4, beginning with verse 5. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple. If you are the son of God, he said, throw yourself down. For it is written, he will command his angels concerning you, and they will lift you up in in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, It is also written, Do not put the Lord your God to the test. Jesus had rejected the first temptation from Satan by trusting God to take care of his needs. And now the devil attempted to tempt Jesus based on that very assurance. He took Jesus to the holy city, to Jerusalem, to the highest point on the temple. As with the first temptation, the devil began with this first-class conditional phrase, If you are the Son of God, throw yourself down. This implied that Jesus could do this safely. The devil himself quotes scripture, citing the Psalms. For he will command his angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. They will lift you up in their hands so that you will not strike your foot against a stone. Psalm 91 verses 11 and 12. Jesus should do this according to Satan because the angels would immediately be there to help him. The angels would surely bear him up with their hands providing Jesus with angelic protection. Satan was suggesting that this leap from a tall place would not result in any harm since God would not permit it, and the angels would see to his safety. Jesus replied with a it-stands-written phrase, indicating he intended to use scripture again to rebuff Satan. Now, Jesus makes no mention of the psalm that Satan had quoted, but he simply points to another passage. You shall not put the Lord your God to the test from Deuteronomy 6, verse 16. This passage refers to an incident with the Israelites during their exodus at Massa. Here they complained to Moses because they were short on water. And Moses responded by saying, Why do you put the the Lord to the proof? And is the Lord among us or not? Moses was making the point that to continually demand the miraculous from God was just not acceptable. The Israelites, and indeed Christians too, cannot demand that God continually intervene with miraculous provisions for their every need. In the case of Jesus, to jump from a high height and then expect God to avert the natural result of such an act is is offensive to God because it would compel God to act in such a way that was dictated by Jesus. And Jesus just rejects this suggestion. He preferred to trust in his Father and to accept his will, whatever it may be. 
Well, the final temptation in Matthew chapter 4 begins with verse 8. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All of this I will give you, he said, if you will bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left him and angels came and attended to him. Well, this time we see that Satan took Jesus to a very high mountain. High mountains are frequently mentioned in scripture, but this one was exceptional because from it, the devil could show Jesus all the earth's kingdoms. The use of the word worlds makes this expression comprehensive and splendor points to the beauty of the kingdoms of earth. When we think of the evils around the world and the injustice of corrupt governments today, we can see that for Jesus to establish a worldwide empire that would be ruled with perfect justice, it was a real temptation, not just a flippant suggestion, but for Jesus, the price of building a righteous empire would be very high indeed since it would require that Jesus bow down and worship Satan. It would mean the real acceptance of Satan's rule over this earth. Jesus would be giving to Satan what belongs to God alone, dominion of the earth. Well, the fact that Satan made this offer just reveals one of two things about him. Either he legitimately was able to offer Jesus the world, or it was a total deception, just another lie. Jesus rejected this third and final temptation by again citing a passage from Scripture. Go away, was Jesus' response to Satan, and a decisive rejection of Satan's unholy proposition. Jesus again quotes from Deuteronomy, this time from 6.13. Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. God is to be the object of worship. Divine worship is a service offered to God alone. Satan was defeated and he left Jesus. The temptation story introduces us to Satan and his evil plans the world. In the span of these two stories, the baptism story and the temptation story, we have been introduced to God the Father, the Holy Spirit, Jesus as an adult, John the Baptist, and Satan. The gospel writers have quickly taken us from what is absolutely holy to what is absolutely evil. And we can see the extremes between holiness and unholiness. The temptation of Jesus teaches us about our earthly, spiritual adversary, Satan and his followers. Well, there are red flags to warn us that Satan is up to no good in our lives. And let me tell you about those. 
One is when we are isolated from others, and particularly from our spiritual family. This just gives Satan the opportunity to tempt us. Our spiritual deserts create the space for Satan to work on us, just as it did for Jesus. We must strive to stay in community with Jesus and our fellow believers. Well, second, temptation is often about getting something we want. And for each person, that thing is different. We have to be careful about wanting something so bad that it gives Satan a foothold in our heart. Of course, to get the things we covet, we must align ourselves with Satan and really cross a moral boundary. When we are aligned with Satan, we are giving him our allegiance. In contrast, when we resist temptation, we demonstrate our allegiance to Jesus. Prayer is the proper response to temptation, since it is the one thing that rebuffs Satan. Okay, well, next time on the JC, we will follow Jesus as he attends a wedding in Cana with his mother Mary and some of his disciples. It is here that Jesus performed his first miracle. Hey, don't forget to check out my website at www.thejesuschronicles.org. Thank you.